And now, coming to you live from the Gershon Room, high above the Cood Street Motel 6, it's Gary K. Wolf and Jonathan Strahan on the 13th or 14th year and the 621st episode of the Cood Street Podcast! And we're back, we're back. It's 2023, and uh, let's just go ahead to 2024, because I'm not expecting much of this year. <laughs> there was a, no, no, no. Our friend Ellen Clay just posted on, on Facebook a telegram sent by Dorothy Parker to Robert Benchley on New Year's 1929, saying, you get over here right now and explain to me why they're having another year. And, <laughs> and, and you, you, don't have, you don't even have to deal with our U.S. House of Representatives, <laughs> which is something, look, look, something that Vonnegut would have thought of 20, 50 years ago. Hey, look, but there's that time that was so much worse back in the past, where didn't they take like 150 rounds of votes or something one time? In 1830 or something. I mean, well, I mean, you know, you're growing as a people. I guess that's true. Norman Spinrad would love it. Norman Spinrad would love it. Uh, in a sense, there's uh, there's part of me that thinks a lot of this is Philip K. Dick, um, simply because... It's I, always I, Philip K. Dick. Well, everything is Philip K. Dick. I mean, you can explain. So one of the things that somebody was talking about, if... Uh, Somebody tweeted today or, or, or put it on Facebook, and I apologize for not remembering uh, that said if California were a state, it would be Philip K. Dick. And I thought, well, okay, could you a- attach years to these things? We just finished 2022, which, as many people have pointed out, was the year of Soil and Green. Um, yeah. It was not actually the year of Make Room, Make Room, the Harry Harrison thing. But it's interesting when you look back at the things that we were worried about at this period that we were worried about the wrong things. I mean, overpopulation, uh, not only the Harry Harrison novel, but the, the stand on Zanzibar runner, I mean, uh, the, the population explosion of the population bomb by Ehrlich, that was what we were supposed to be panicking about right now. Um, and very few people back then thought that we were actually going to be panicking about global warming, weather, and completely insane politicians pretty much all over the world. Nor would they have predicted in 1960 that you'd be fretting over billionaires and their erratic activities. Well, exactly. Well, this is the kind of thing that always makes me uh, skeptical about science fiction futures and more skeptical about quote-unquote futurist futures. Um, If you were to go to try to explain to somebody, even from 1990, how Twitter works, uh, the the number of layers of explanation you'd have to get into before you even got to what Twitter does, you have to explain what an app is. The word app didn't exist in 1920. Um, no, you know what you'd have to start with? You'd have to persuade them that anyone would carry a telephone around with them all the time. True. No one would have believed that, that, that everybody would spend that amount of money on a disposable device that a lot of them would change every year for nothing, no reason other than fashion, mm. and they would use it for all these different purposes. Nobody would have believed. They would have believed part of it because, and I, I, I did a lecture on this not uh, sometime last year, um, and I was trying to look at early things like um, handheld, uh, wrist-held computers, and the first yeah. first evidence of that, the first evidence of something that looks a lot like an iPhone, uh, or an iWatch, I should say, was in the Dick Tracy comic strip. Mm. Dick Tracy had a two-way wrist radio all the way back in the 40s, and by, 19, by the mid-1950s, it was a two-way wrist television. Uh, so, so to some extent, you, you find accurate visions of the future where you least expect to see them. Where's my phone in the shoe, Gary? 
Maxwell Smart <laughs> misled me completely. No, no shoe phone. And then, frankly, even back then, you thought that doesn't seem like a really practical communication method, does it? No, uh, it, it, it doesn't work out at all. And can you imagine if you had tinea? Pooh. Anyway, enough that's, of this. We have things to talk about. We actually have a plan because it's the beginning of the year, and the beginning of the year we historically start off. Well, we've already talked about books that we liked for last year, which. Last year already seems four or five years ago. I mean, it's been it's been weeks. But uh, yes, we've been on our lengthy hiatus. I guess that's it. So, like two weeks? Not even. Did you have but, a good holiday break? That's yeah. It's, it's worth having a holiday. But we traditionally we start off by looking at at books that we're anticipating, and then uh, presumably we'll do another kind of year and review thing later on when we get down yeah, to talking yeah. about the locus recommended reading list. Let me start it with this way, though, if I can. You've got to the end of 2022. It's fresh in your mind because you've had to do all kinds of mm-hmm. summaries and summation. So you have a feeling about 2022. Before we get to specific titles, are the things that you, as a reader, someone who is, as a reviewer, asked to review four to six books a month, which means that you're reading an average at least 50 to 100 books a year, is there something you're looking forward to that you'd like to experience as a reader during the year? Uh, well, I, this this is going to sound like a complete cop out answer because it is, and that is that what I what I really look forward to is being surprised by something I'm not looking forward to. When I go back to last year, um, a couple of books. One that really pops uh, pops up every time somebody asks me this question was Kelly Barnhill's When Women Were Dragons. I had no idea what to expect of it. I not had not read any of her young adult books. I didn't know really anything about Kelly Barnhill. I thought it was terrific. Um, and it was, it was, it was terrific partly because it was a surprise. It was a bold kind of move. Um, and it, it worked very well. Now, because of having been surprised by that book last year, her next, her forthcoming novella, The Crane Husband, is something I'm looking forward to this year. So obviously the previous year's readings affect what you're uh, sure, of course, yeah. Hoping to see for the following year. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I had a pretty terrible reading year when it came to science fiction. I had a pretty good fantasy year, if you like. Hmm. I mean, I think I finished reading, as I was saying to you before the, the discussion, I finished reading one science fiction novel in 2022, mm-hmm. uh, which I enjoyed greatly. Uh, I've finished a, a number of fantasy novels, but not as many as I would like. And probably my favorite book of that year was actually a Borderlands short novel rather than the full-length novel, which probably connects to my own desire for more brevity and efficiency in the things that I'm uh, encountering. You know, we're, we're pushing here at home to watch shorter films, looking for the sub-two-hour film mm-hmm. and the sub-400-page book, which doesn't mean ever that there can't be brilliant long books that totally deserve the space they take. Just that there's a whole bunch that seem to take a lot of space they don't need. I noticed that, uh, and, it, and it surprises me when I find this. I mean, I always dread entering into a long book. And one of the classic recent examples within the last couple of decades, at least, was Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I'd mm-hmm. read some short fiction by, by Susanna Clark, and I thought she writes really well. I like, And it was completely engaging for me that... Uh, completely justified its length. It was fascinating. But then her next novel, which in some ways haunts me much more than Jonathan Strange and Mr. Merle did, was much shorter um, and, and extremely efficient. But uh, in, in other words, 
she was not trying to redo what she'd done in her first novel. She was doing some something that was appropriate for the amount of imagination that went into it, I guess, if that's the way. And so that, so I will respect Susanna Clark. She writes a novella. I know it's supposed to be a novella. She writes a long novel. It deserves to be a long novel. She writes Piranesi, which is not a long novel, but feels like you've been immersed in a world for a long time. Uh, that's a skill, and it's a skill that I'm sure a number of writers have, but I wonder how much writers come up against editors, agents, marketing people, demands to make longer books. Let's just take longer movies. I don't know that I believe that much in the demand for longer from editors and publishers anymore. I think those sort of things have changed. I think there's a great, a much greater comfort in letting works hit the length they should be. So mm. I think there are other things that may be driving it. And I, I think, you know, to support my, my argument, I would put to you that the success of novellas and short novels over the last five years kind of endorses the idea that we, you know, the stories can be what they're supposed to be. What I'd also say before we kick off in a second is this, mm-hmm. if I was going to look, if I'm looking forward to anything other than the surprises, which I agree with you about completely, I mean, the thing that gives a reading year its character and that makes it worth pursuing in some ways is the unexpected surprise that you, that you find. Mm-hmm. There will be a brilliant first novel, an incredible short story, something by somebody you've never heard of before, and that will give the year... Frankly, it's spice and flavor, and it happens. I mean, the thing we never allow enough is it happens every single year. You know, yes, every year there's something you didn't expect. Nope, you might have said from his short fiction that Ray Naylor's uh, book was going to be good, but it was, I think, a lot better than maybe anybody might have expected. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe in addition to you know that, I'm looking for two things: a little bit of familiarity from something I enjoy, because that's always a good thing in your reading. And some good, solid, like, science fiction novels. I just haven't read that many lately. And that may just be my reading and what I encounter. But I'd really like, you know, a book set in space that really was tightly done and smart. And, yeah, that's what I'm hoping to find. But we will start off with with, with good old recommendation. You recommend one. I recommend that one. We'll get somewhere with the vicinity of the end of the, uh, the well, list of the hour and see where we are. The other thing which I look forward to. And I'll start off with this because I think it's a book that was on both of our lists. Uh, and it's at this point, I'm cheating a little bit because I've read it, but it's still a forthcoming book. Before I'd read it, I was looking forward to the new Kelly Link collection of short, short stories because it's mm-hmm. Kelly Link. And you look forward to that because you know you're not going to be disappointed. You may be surprised. And in fact, this is a collection of stories built around specific fairy tales. So they're not all classic Kelly Link stories. But they are. So, 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 so to describe, we're talking about a collection of Kelly Link stories around fairy tales called White Cat, Black Dog. White Cat, Black Dog, which is uh, coming. It's not from Small Beer, actually. It's from... Oh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a major press collection, major press collection. Uh, from the people who ha- are putting out her novel next year. I mean, that's that's the mm-hmm. other thing. It's like t- 20, th- this book, which um, is coming out from Random House in March, right? Mm-hmm. And which uh, we both have access to because of, you know, evil reviewerness. Um, it's the stepping stone to her debut novel, which will come out in 2024. Well, stepping stone in the sense of... Uh, the next thing. The next thing. It's not... I don't think it's connected to her novel. But again, it's 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 somebody who... You know, there, there are authors. Uh, obviously, Ted Chang. If a Ted Chang story collection comes out, everybody's going to be expecting wonderful things. And probably going to get them. And I feel the same way about Kelly Link. Yep. Okay. 
the first book that I'm looking forward to this year is a book that I've been looking forward to for at least four or five years mm -hmm. and which finally is coming out into the world. I'm always a little bit nervous about authors' passion projects that they work on for decades. Mm -hmm. But Ian MacDonald has been working on Hopeland for 23 years. He finally finished it last year. I had read a piece of it four or five, about four years ago, I think, and was completely bowled over by it. It comes out from Golans and Tor, I think, in February, mm -hmm. and is really a book that I've been desperately looking forward to reading and looks looks really interesting. A, a book of a, a book of family and love and electromancy and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. And Ian McDonald is always worth reading. And it also looks like um, from what advanced marketing I've seen, uh, an effort at some kind of a breakout novel, something that goes beyond the normal genre readership. The people who have yeah. read I mean he has a readership, but it's not it's, he's one of the writers whose readership has never been as broad as it should be. And yeah. Maybe this will do it for him. I hope so. Uh, let me see. Okay, let me add another uh, title. Uh, oh, here's one that I, again, some of these are on both of our lists. But there's a new and merry gentle novel coming. Uh, maybe. Quiet. Maybe? The Landing. I went looking for it this morning because uh -huh. we were going to be talking. And suddenly the page that connects to it on the Golan's website disappeared oh, really so maybe i agree with you though continue on well i mean it, uh it, has it been 20 years or something uh no it can't be that long since her last previous novel uh black black death what was it or no uh, black opera oh okay right but um, but it's been it's been some time since her previous book you're right i think black no, it's been a decade since black opera okay and, Probably the 20 years you were talking about when I interrupted so rudely would be before Ash's Secret History. Yes, Ash is what I was thinking of. Which is a phenomenal book. Which is a phenomenal Again, talk about a book that justifies its length. Um, yeah. That's a good example of that. And it's, it's, it's kind of a, a modern classic. And so I'm, I'm very, I know nothing about the, the, the landing. Um, but I'm extremely curious because, again, I trust the author. Or, or trust is the foundation of my next recommendation. Okay. I read a lot of short fiction that's submitted to me during the year, some good, some bad. Mm -hmm. There are people who are always reliable uh, you know, in terms of producing interesting work, and some people then go through incredible bursts of, of creativity. We've talked about it in the past. Mm -hmm. Originally scheduled for February, but I think coming out in June from uh, Airhorn Press is E. Lily Yu's debut short story collection, Jewel Box. Now, Lily Yu's stories from the last few years have been incredible. They have been. Uh, smart, literate, questing, intelligent, just, just moving, powerful work. And I'm, first of all, I am have, have been on this podcast since the beginning, passionate about first collection, mm -hmm. passionate about short stories. I'm so excited about this book. I think it's going to be one of the standouts of the year. I've seen a draft table of contents for it, and I know most of the stories, I think, and it looks really special. So, yeah. I agree, and I think that, uh, I mean, I've probably read most of the stories in it. I've, I've, I've certainly been keeping up with her, and, 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 and she's a, a long time for the podcast. Um, but, again, there's a sense that this is, this is probably an effort at breaking out a little bit of, uh, of, of, of the traditional readership. Her fiction uh, can be regarded partly as experimental fiction, uh, partly as, as genre fiction, partly as fiction that is completely unclassifiable. Her first 
famous story, the cartographer wasps and the anarchist bees, kind of set the tone that this is like nothing else. Um, and, uh, and, and she's one of the writers who, I don't expect the same thing from story to story, but I expect every story to be unique. The other writer I think of in these terms is Kidge Johnson. Um, and Kidge has a book coming out this year as well. Um, from Small Beer. From Small Beer. And, 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 and again, it'll be a uh, collection that probably will cross the boundaries between experimental fiction, avant-garde fiction, literary fiction, science fiction, fantasy, horror, whatever, sometimes within the same story, which is uh, yes. makes it even more delightful. Um, the only thing is, I don't think I had Kidge's book on my list because I don't no, think- well, probably because it slipped. Because this is what's going to happen. We we promise we will we will miss interesting things. Oh yes, but that right. book is coming out, as I understand, uh, for the World Fantasy Convention in October in Kansas City. So we will be able to see it there. Uh-huh. I've seen a title, but it escapes me at this moment. But I know it's coming, and we will talk about it in the run up. What's next on your list? Uh, well, we're we're right in the middle of, of short story collections. So one ongoing project there. There are two old masters who have collections coming out this year. And it's reading these is not only reading reliable writers of short fiction, but reading people who have helped define the field as it is today. And the, the two people I'm thinking of who come out, well, who are coming out with major collections are uh, Jane Yolen with her third or fourth or maybe fifth collection from Tachyon called The Scarlet Circus. And also from Tachyon, the two volumes of The Essential Peter S. Beagle, which I always feel like I have to put a footnote when you call something essential, because most people, common sense would say the essential Peter Beagle is the novels. It's The Last Unicorn, it's The Innkeeper's Song, it's uh, uh, the, the, the Fine and Private Place and that sort of thing. So this is what I think, I don't know exactly whether how much Peter chose this, how much the Tachyon people did. But there are certainly some classic stories there, Lyle of the Werewolf, Come Lady Death, and a lot of the stories that uh, Beagle has written about his childhood in the Bronx that are kind of nostalgic but kind of magic realist, and they're just mm-hmm. beautifully done stories. And the Jane Yolen collection, Absolutely again, somebody who's been defining the uh, genre for decades, is a collection of stories mostly built around themes of romance, as always there are allusions to fairy tales and folk tales and that sort of thing. But she's done uh, a series of uh, fairy tale redactions in one of her earlier collections. One of her, I think, most recent collections was kind of her darker stories, not quite horror. And this is sort of her collection of romance stories. So that looks like a lot. of Excellent. Well, I've said that I'm looking for space stories. I've mm-hmm. said that I'm looking for something in the core of the genre. I... I reached out to some of the editors that I know in the field to ask them about books they're excited about. And one of the books that I heard about, and I've heard about quite a lot lately, is a debut space opera coming in the first quarter of the year uh, in in April. Mm -hmm. It's called Some Desperate Glory. It's by Emily Tesh. And everything I hear about it is that it's exciting and it's smart. Uh, It's... You know, I'm going to be fast. I have a copy on my Kindle. I'm going to be fascinated to see just how it goes because I have. Whilst uh, Tesh has had work on the Locus recommended reading list at novella length before, mm-hmm. uh, it's always interesting to see how someone segues to to novel uh, to, to novel length work. And it, you I mean, it's always interesting when you know 
a debut that's called Masterful and Audacious and whatever. And I mean, most times cover brobs mean nothing, but the fact mm. that it comes with recommendations and whatever else, it makes it sound really interesting. And the fact that it, as is, you know, it's at the core of the science fiction field, and that makes it of interest to me, a smart debut that people are raving about already before it hits the shelves. So uh, that's what, that's on my list. I'm seeing, as you were saying that, I was looking over my list if there was anything that looked like space opera and, and, and traditional space opera. Um, and there's not a lot there. I should mention that I've enjoyed the first two volumes of the Charlie Jane Andrews uh, series, The Unstoppables, and the third volume, Promises Stranger Than Darkness. Uh, it's coming out sometime in, in the year. That's mm-hmm. a celebration. It, it's at once a young adult outsider, uh, misfits for, forming a, a, a kind of community, uh, but it's also a celebration of really old-fashioned space opera. Uh, I, I know she I, I know that Charlie uh, Jane had read people like A.E. Van Vogt. I don't know if she went back and read the kind of really slam-bang, crazed space opera that Smith and Hamilton were writing in the 30s, but it has that flavor. Uh, you know, yeah. done with, with new, new characters, much more diverse, much more neurodivergent, much more interesting characters than we would have seen before. Uh, outside of that, I don't see anything on my list that I can anticipate as being anything close to space opera. So I'm very interested. I've got one or two more. Hmm? But I've got one or two more. But, I mean, uh, you mentioned YA. I've only yes. got one overtly, which is not even YA, one, uh, one YA-connected title on my list at the moment. I mean, my YA reading has been very spotty of late, so mm-hmm. I need I need to sort of fix that up if, if I can. But in March of this year, Garth Nix, who is a friend of ours and a friend of the mm-hmm. podcast, returns to the world of the left-handed booksellers of London with uh, the sinister booksellers of Bath. Uh-huh. You know, I feel like it's going to be the bookseller series. We've never quite talked about it. And it's a contemporary world fantasy where old world magic you know, bleeds into the current world. I am two-thirds of the way through reading it right now. And I, I always enjoy Garth's books, um, ever since I fell in love with Sab- Sabriel back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And this one's a real pleasure to read, a real joy. And it's always nice to go back to a favorite writer and see them doing good, smart things again. Well, that brings me back to short story collections once again because my list has his collection of sir hereward and mr fitz stories which is coming out uh, and, and being marketed as a, an adult story collection again i suspect i've read a lot of the stories in it but uh, it, it's part of this tradition of uh, of well i i always think of it as the fofford and the gray mouser tradition i mean swanwick has done stories like this rogue companions doing interesting things in, in, in interesting yeah. kind of worlds. And these, again, as you say, they've always been delightful stories. I've read them one at a time, and I have no expectation to be even slightly disappointed in seeing them all in the collection. I think with maybe one or two original stories, I'm not sure. Yeah. A couple of years ago, one of my favorite new writers of the last decade, someone who I always love reading, Alex E. Harrow, mm-hmm. dropped a book called The 10,000 Doors of January. That was yes. her debut. There's another door-related fantasy coming out this year. Huh. Uh, and I hear, again, very, 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 very good and exciting things about it, to the extent that I w- went to the trouble of hunting down a copy of it. And that's The Saint of Bright Doors by Vajra Chandrasekhera. Huh. Now, it's coming out in July. Uh, it's a 360-page, so not overlong, 
uh-huh. a fantasy novel about book, you know, bright doors that are portals in cities, unknowable metropolises, everything else. Sounds intriguing, sounds smart. Um, I mean, I'm totally compromised because it's connected to Tor.com, who I work with, but I also kind of believe that they're focused on other stuff. There's stuff on a particular kind of space that I'm enjoying reading. And I'll also be rude and then connect it to another recommendation for a book I've already read. Okay. Which I'm sure is on your list. So I'm cheating and I am disenfranchising you of a choice. So you can be cross with me. And that is Starling House. This coming October, mm-hmm. Alexi Harrow's third novel, Starling House, will come out. Now, <clears throat> I've read this book. I read this book several some months ago. It is a classic uh, in, in, in the sense of the, the, the Haunting of Hill House kind of thing, house novel about a spooky weird house, the people whose lives are distorted by it. It's a completely different kind of book, as you would expect it when you've read her work from mm-hmm. either The 10,000 Doors of January or from The Once on Future Witches. Um, but I, it, it's, it's a terrific book. It's the first book this year that I've put down money to buy to make sure I get a copy of. And I'll also, as a further aside, say... I'm hoping there's going to be a Subterranean Press limited edition of this one too, because just at the cusp of the end of the year, I received a copy of the uh, Subterranean Press edition of The Once and Future Witches, which might be the prettiest book I saw all year, Gary. It's gorgeous. Anyway. Wonderful. Well, I'm, 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 glad, um, I'm glad you mentioned Subterranean Press, because they have always not only gorgeous editions, but they also have important editions that are probably selling out uh, one of the one of the big subterranean press books coming out this year, and by big I mean big, is the best of Catherine Valenti, eight hundred pages of volume one, um, and I part of me part of me thinks that Cat Valenti, who is a delightful person and a friend of the podcast, has a great deal of self confidence to think that there are two volumes of the best, but there probably are because she's written so much and so many novels, and again. Uh, has has become a. I, I, I don't think she would take this the wrong way if I said become a much more interesting writer in the last five years um, in all kinds well, of. Well, I'd, I'd like to think any author would be would want that and would be flattered by that. Surely, what what any what author wants is to get get better at their craft and become more interesting. And I agree, as interesting and as talented and as gifted as uh, as Cat has been throughout her career. The work of the last three to five years has just simply gotten better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's a there's which does a, not mean this is the junky early stuff, by the way. No, no. Well, the, the, she the thing about the thing about Catalinti is there really isn't any early early stuff. I mean, her career is something less than twenty years old, um, and th- th- there's just been an enormous amount of of fiction which is all over the map. Uh, and a lot of it, this is a very good representation. I'm reading it right now, I should say. And there are stories that go back to, I think, 2008 and some stories from 2021. Uh, there's a sense of confidence. There, there's a sense of huge celebration in the early stories. She loves language. Yeah. She loves words. She loves yeah. inventing things. There's a sense that now she loves all those things, but has them under control in a much more uh, disciplined way, I guess. But the other other reason I mentioned Subterranean, and I should have mentioned this when I was talking about Old Masters, I think Subterranean is doing a collection of the early Howard Waldrop. This year. And again, um, I, I don't know enough. I've, I've not differentiated between the early and late and middle Howard Waldrop because it doesn't seem to me there's very much Howard Waldrop altogether. There's 
Oh no no no! You you've stumbled in, into the wrong, the wrong hole here, uh, Gary. There's about ninety stories all up sure, of, of Howard's. As as his, that's it's impressive, but not overwhelming. About ninety stories and two or three novels, mm-hmm. and there's a clear early, middle, and later period. Okay, um, you can go around, but which, but this will be. I mean, never forget. This is a man who sold his first story to John W. Campbell. Well, that's true. And so this will start. I would imagine with. In or around the time of his first analog story, the point of time where he's finding his fate, the work's experimental, he hasn't worked out mm-hmm. who he is, before the early mature period that's collected in Howard Who and in All About Strange Monsters of the Recent Past and uh, and in The Night of Kudus, those collections, uh, before you get to later work. So, sorry. But that should be a really interesting book. Isn't, uh, we're still in subterranean. Aren't they doing a Gene Wolfe collection as well? They I are believe. indeed, Gary. Oh, um, I second. know... It's Dead called the Wolf the at the Door. Yeah, the Wolf. Oh, well, oh. It's, but it's not from Subterranean. That's coming from Tor. Oh, I think there's oh, also Tor. one coming from Subterranean. Okay, wait a minute. I have I have a totally different title down. Something What's about yours? Dead Man. I don't know. Yes, I, have, I, 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 have I do believe there was a Gene Wolf. Hmm. I do believe that there was a Gene Wolf collection coming from Subterranean Press later in the year. I don't have the title to hand, unfortunately, but I think you're right. And then as well. Uh, Tor are doing a new collection, a 400-page collection of Gene short fiction under the title The Wolf at the Door. Okay. So shall we go on? Uh, yeah, oh, I think oh, I'm oh, next, right. am I? Oh, you're or next, no. yes. Or, well, I, I took a double recommendation, so you can you can do that too. So Unless you want I me to. Well, well, I, no, I, I kind of did that together when I did the Peter Beagle and the Jane Yolen things okay. together. There will not be a more important book published this year in the genre, period. Um, in, or in and around October, uh, mm-hmm. certainly in the fall, the Library of America will finally publish uh, Joanna Russ novels and stories. There has been yes. talk about collecting Joanna Russ's short fiction for a decade or more that I'm aware of. I'm aware of other people who've worked on doing it, manuscripts that have been compiled, mm-hmm. trouble with doing it. Finally, 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 uh, someone has managed to do it. They're going to collect the female man. We are who are about to all of the Alex stories in one definitive book, and I think it's going to be one of the most essential, one of the most important books we see all year. And I'm really, really, really excited to see it come out. No, I've been hoping to do that for some time, and I, I'd like to think that I helped bring Joanna Russ to their attention with the 1960s volume. But the, uh, they've got, I don't remember the name of the editor, but she's a Rush scholar and somebody who's been mm. working on this for a while. And the bibliographical work, which I've said many times on the podcast and other, is generally done by the staff of the Library of America. And they're very conscientious about getting the right editions, doing variant texts, getting the, you know, the last appropriate text that the author approved. So it should be a good edition. I, it's not going to have everything in it. It's going to have no, no. certainly uh, some of the most important novels, and, and we are about to. And also, if if the 1970s volume of American science fiction novels ever comes out, this book is the reason that the female man won't be in mind because they're not going to publish it twice. <laughs> Although, probably good for um, He's not bitter, listeners. No, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, uh, sure, sure. You, you, you can do... Never mind. <laughs> don't, don't, don't Let's move sorry. along. Move along. Let's move right along. Let me just find something else. Another favorite and a friend of the podcast, Sarah Pinsker, has a collection of short stories coming out. 
uh, which I no. should have seen by now. I don't know why I don't have a copy of it. I want to see it. I want it right here. Um, her last no, collection was terrific. It's, it's on NetGalley, Gary. I tried getting it. Oh, maybe I did request it on that. Whatever. Um, I'll get a copy. Okay, I'll get a copy. And what's it called, Gary? It's called Lost Places, I believe. Yeah, Lost Places, uh, which is coming out in March. Yes. From, from, from uh, looks, The cover's already out there in the world. And, I mean, Sarah, who's also, as you say, quite rightly a, a friend of the podcast, and who had the marvelous collection a couple of years back, sooner or later everything falls into the sea. It looks really good. Is it your turn now or mine? I'm totally... It is my turn. Okay. okay. So a couple of years ago I was reading around and I stumbled across a novel by Summit Basu called Chosen Spirits, a cyberpunk book mm -hmm. set in India. Uh, and it was reprinted last year under the title The City Inside by Tor.com, yes. which was a welcome thing. It's good to see these books coming out into the world at large. Now uh, Summit's first, if you like, original novel for the U.S. market, uh, The Jinbot of Shantaport, is mm. coming out in uh, October. It's a 400-page science fiction adventure, which they're describing as a mashup of Aladdin and Murderbot. Hmm. Now, if it's actually that, it will be astonishingly popular and I'll be very happy. I suspect, knowing Summit's writing, it will probably be like that, but really kind of like smart and well done rather than just a quick pastiche. Yeah. So I'm really, uh, I think they describe it as gloriously chaotic. And a gloriously chaotic science fiction novel uh, is something I think we're all up for. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm all for chaos. I, I mean, I, I, I completely <laughs> want to celebrate that. I guess, I guess we should, speaking of just chaotic writing chaotic funny enjoyable writing uh, you and i are both enormous supporters of kj parker and there's another novella on the list um and there's a there's a i have a mixed feeling that the parker novella is called under my skin um, no it's not a novella gary it's not a novella it's a novel no no it's not Gotta go read about these books, Gary. I'm sorry to be we're, we're correcting each other on air, but okay. it is an it is the third in the big series of collections that uh, Subterranean produce, I believe. Oh, from uh, like academic exercises in that series, exactly like that. It's coming on the 30th of March. My, it's got a, got a Vincent Chong cover. Uh, it features it, it actually features a full novel as well this time, an original novel called Relics along with stories like Prosper's Demons, yeah. uh, you know, which, which came out some, some, you know, the, through Tor.com and Mightier Than the Sword, whatever else. So, yeah, this is the third big one following academic exercises and the, the other one. Yeah, right. Excellent. All the more reason to look forward to it. Indeed. I mean, it's a, a really kind of embarrassing secret of reviewers. I love reviewing books where I've read most of the stories in them already and kind of know what's there. That's just lazy, Gary. Yes, it is. Exactly. What's the problem? Fair enough. Okay. One of my favorite new writers of 1998, well, probably of 2000, was Alistair Reynolds, mm -hmm. who has been reliably writing really good, interesting, entertaining science fiction novels for two decades now. In the back half of 2023, he will have the third of uh, his Prefect Dreyfus books, a book called Machine Vendetta. Um which follows on from Elysium Fire, and I'm really looking forward to it. It should be really, really, really good. There are writers that I find uh, dependable. One of the, um, one of them, and some of them are not published very easy, not easy to get to in the United States. I was complaining about Paul McCauley, uh, for example, being a major hard SF writer, which 
you, you can get his books here, but they're, they're through Galangs, but they're not easy. Christopher Priest's uh, Airside, I don't know if it's coming out in the States or not. But again, it's one of these odd, uh, it looks like a novel that has the usual kind of time and place and historical shifts in it that we expect from Priest. They're always interesting. Uh, every time I think I've got Christopher Priest figured out, uh, and not only in terms of his dream archipelago thing, but in terms of his is, is, is more purely science fiction novels or his alternate history novels. He does the same thing he did before and fools me all over again. And I keep reading Christopher, Christopher Priest in order to figure out it's like watching Penn and Teller. I want to know how he does this. And I'm going to keep reading his novels until I find out. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. Uh, in May of this year, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's Hash, Hashette, maybe, are publishing the new novel by. Nina Allen, yes. longtime friend of the podcast and wonderful writer, a book called Conquest. Uh, looks really interesting. It, it, you know, it, it you know, ties into science fiction in interesting ways. Nina is always, always interesting and provocative and writes beautifully. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, and supposedly that's on its way to me now, but I haven't seen a physical copy of it. Another writer who's interesting uh, and th- we're getting at the edge of genre because Nina's work is sometimes fantasy, sometimes it's it, it's it's one of these things that's really kind of unclassifiable. But one of the most successful writers of the last few years who clearly began in genre and now is uh, everywhere is, is Silvia Marina Garcia and her novel Silver Nitrate. Uh, it's I'm a sucker for these things. It's uh, it, it's another Hollywood novel apparently. Uh, I love Niveau's Siren Queen. Uh, it, it, it deals with some kind of magic involved in the film industry, I gather, in, in, in Mexico uh, in, in the 20s or 30s. But it, it's going to be um, undoubtedly a, a, a good suspense novel. And all the Silvia Moreno Garcia books that I've read have been solid suspense novels at their core. And yeah. I expect this will work as well. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Come this June, uh, the fourth, I think it is, and please, my apologies if I've got the, if the number's mm-hmm. wrong, the fourth novel from S.L. Huang will come out. Mm-hmm. It's a book called The Water Outlaws, uh, inspired by classic mar- mar- martial arts literature, apparently. Looks like a really interesting, engaging, fun book. Uh, the author is actually a Hollywood stunt performer uh, and mm-hmm. knows a lot about martial arts and whatever else. So that kind of visceral experience <laughs> creeps into their work. So this looks like a really interesting, fun book in a typically beautiful edition from, from the tour team. So I'm really looking forward to that one too. Well, as long as you mentioned uh, stories that are based on uh, some martial arts traditions and that sort of thing, the, uh, another sequel, another book in an ongoing series, which I'm sure will be a lot of fun, is Nevo's the fourth novel in her, I think it's the fourth novella in her Singing Hills cycle which is I'm Mammoths at the Gate, um, and it comes out, I believe, in September. And again, this is just a kind of wonderful uh, world based on uh, medieval China, which uh, has a great deal of, of, of humor in it. There's a, there's a kind of banter in it that, weirdly enough, this is going to sound very strange, uh, and I would love to talk to Nevo about this sometime, the banter between this magical hoopoe bird and the and, and, and the central character who's a cleric 
Yeah. It reminds me of nothing so much as Nick and Nora Charles in the Thin Man Mysteries. <laughs> and it, it's probably because I was watching the Thin Man Mysteries after reading the last one, but it, it, these are just delightfully sprightly, bright characters, and the dialogue alone is uh, is worthwhile, in, in, at least in the first three novellas. Two years ago, an Australian writer, well, an Australian-Malaysian writer, uh, burst onto the scene, Shelley Parker Chan, with mm -hmm. a book called She Who Became the Sun. Uh, terrific book, uh, won awards, very popular with readers, part one of a two-part duology, The Radiant mm -hmm. Emperor, and the second and final book in the set, He Who Drowned the World, is due out in August. I've not seen any actual hands-on pieces of the book yet to read, but mm. I really, really enjoyed She Who Became the Sun. It was a really, really engaging, interesting book. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I, that's definitely high on my, my to-read list. I'd love to see that. I have seen nothing about it at all. You're right. Here's another book. Well, we're talking about writers that we know we can depend on. And one yeah. title I notice is on both of our lists. Sometime late in the year will be the sequel to Hild, the um, uh, apparently very long uh, Nicola Griffith novel uh, called Meanwood, uh, which yep. I have no doubt is, I mean, I, I, I know from, from talking to Nicola about it, she's really proud of it, and she's a good self-critic, so I have no doubt that this will be a long novel, which is a historical novel. We're, we're, we're back in the sixth century, and uh, whether there's any element of fantasy or science fiction in it at all, I don't know, but one of the arguments which has come up before uh, on panel discussions and probably in this podcast, if you go far back enough into a misty part of history where you have very little to rely on other than the accounts of people who believed in supernatural occurrences, reading something like Hild felt like reading a fantasy, even though you know that uh, she had done enormous amounts of research. And I know she's done even more research, far more extensive research in uh, in, in, in taking Hild's life story yeah. only a few more years into the future, I gather. But Meanwood is something that I think we'll all be looking at. Yeah, and one of the exciting things in that space as well, I mean, Meanwood is definitely a book I'm looking forward to. Spear, which was her short, not Nicola Griffiths' short novel mm -hmm. uh, last year, was, one of, was possibly my favorite book of the whole year. And there was talk she's going to continue that at some point. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting to me. Continuations are always a bit of a mixed blessing. I'm confident that Nicola will do something special. Um, last year, one of the books I read, because as I say, I read more fantasy than science fiction, was Age of Ash, which is the first book of Kithamar by Daniel Abraham, who mm -hmm. is one half of James S.A. Corey. In July, we will see the second uh, volume in that series, Blade of Dream. And I'm really, really interested to see what uh, Daniel does. Ever since he started, you know, he, you know he, he came on the scene, he's done something, always managed to do something interesting, different with his mm -hmm. uh, fantasy work, particularly the Long Price Quartet, is deeply recommended. Was, yes, very, very cool. interesting series. The Dagger and the Coin series was highly entertaining for epic fantasy. And this sits in that space, so definitely recommended. There is also rumor of a new James S.A. Corey uh, series that, that might be called The Captive's War later in the year as well. It occurs to me when we were talking about science fiction earlier that uh, sometimes you and I get spoiled from seeing advanced copies of things, and sometimes books that we're looking forward to in 2023 are technically books we've read. 
But I was just noticing that a January book, which is a major title, is Annalie Newitz's The Terraformers, uh, which I'm glad I thought of this because it it doesn't seem like a forthcoming book, but it's probably out now. I don't know. We're in January. And it's a very ambitious novel. Uh, I think it's a very ambitious critique of capitalism, of all things, uh, that takes place over thousands of years in a on a planet thousands of uh, light years from Earth, takes place over generations, has human and non-human characters. It has moose. It has a moose romance in the first part of it. Who can resist a moose I don't moose know that I'm ready for a moose romance. Moose romance, well, a cat falls in love with a train in the last third of it. So what? But apart from that, it's well thought out. I mean, it's, and it's also... It's also the only galactic sort of uh, galactic empire sort of thing where the the predators are basically real estate developers. And it's it, it deals with terraforming and I'm sensitive to this because nice buildings in my neighborhood are being gutted by reformers real estate people who want to make something better out of them. And there's a giant corporation at the center of this novel. Um if that, you're making predators real estate developers, is it even fiction, Gary? Well, that's kind of the point. It's it's one of these things, and, and it's, this is one of the things that a skilled science fiction writer can do and has been doing for a long time. You set a story thousands of years in the future, thousands of light years from Earth, feature characters in it who are not human. Some characters are mechanical, some are robots, some are uplifted animals. Nothing in it is familiar, except everything is familiar once you realize what's going on. <laughs> okay. It's, you always wonder whether you're looking forward to books that are already out, but very quietly, a new Ooh. Greg Egan novel snuck out into the world in the first days of January. I gather self-published. It, 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 it does continue to stun me that Greg Egan is self-publishing, but yes, he's now self-publishing his novels. And uh, last week, he released a new novel called Scale. Mm-hmm. Um which looks fascinating. He also has a new self-published short story collection coming out in a couple of months as well. Greg, honestly, if there was such a thing as a grand master of Australian science fiction, he would be one. If there were fairness about becoming grand masters at all, he may still be one, but um, a remarkable mind, a remarkable writer. And I have no doubt, whilst it will no doubt be challenging to read, I, I can't imagine a Greg Egan novel these days being an easy read. I'm confident it will be a fascinating and you know sort of sort of challenging read that's worth reading, and that is available from all good d- digital outlets in the world mm-hmm. right now. I think Greg Egan has. Uh, I think you're right there. We expect challenge because of uh, the last few novels. But on the other hand, I was um, a friend Karen Burnham wrote a book on Greg Egan for this University of Illinois, and I had to go back and look at a lot of his stuff. There's a lot of deeply humane, not high tech fiction at all. And in fact, mm-hmm. uh, I believe the story that he had in your uh, 12 Tomorrows anthology was a very accessible story. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, his short fiction is much more accessible in his novels yeah, these days. Uh, so so I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to that. I suppose there's one, uh, one other book, which. Well, no, no, let me get to this one too, because it's probably on your list as well. Our friend Christopher Rowe. Uh, yes! The, the Navigating Fox, which turns out, as far as I can tell, to be about a navigating fox. Yes. Yes, it is. I, he's going it's to add a short story that was published on Tor.com. Yeah. It looks like a huge amount of fun. I have been watching with pleasure, amusement, astonishment, 
Christopher Rowe's social media and the sheer volume of new work that he's suddenly producing is staggering. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the Navigating Fox, and I hope we see a lot more from him. Hawkeye. I'm going to do a little bit of a housekeeping one now, Gary, because uh -huh. there is a whole bunch of stuff, and we've only got a limited amount of time for, for ourselves. So what I want to say is mid-year, there's going to be two collections coming out from the same small press publisher, both deeply interesting for different reasons. Um, Premi Mohammed uh, has really established a name for herself over the past few years, winning Nebulas, a very, very smart, wonderful trilogy available from um, Solaris that came out. Uh, she won for Best Novella. She's got a novella that I've edited coming out. And her debut short story collection, No One Will Come Back For Us and Other Stories, is coming out. I have an advanced copy, but I've not had a chance to read it, and I'm really looking forward to it. I th um, the only reason I'm not immediately telling you the name of the, the publisher is because for some reason I've blanked on it, and I know who he is, and I know where it's coming from, mm -hmm. and it looks really, really excellent. The other book that's coming out from the same publisher is Jackal Jackal, Tales of the Dark and Fantastic by Toby Ogundarin. Mm -hmm. uh, I've read some of these stories. I'm actually editing a piece of his at the moment as well. Toby's a fabulous writer, a really interesting, provocative writer. And I mean, these are both short, first short story collections, you know, which Matt, you know, go along with Lily Yu's book that we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. Uh, and I think we will be spending a chunk of the year talking about these. I hope we will. Um, let me get a, a, a couple of major names. I think, uh, one, because I just got this in my inbox uh, a few days ago is Martha Walls is going back to large scale fantasy with She's got two novels this year, yeah. Two novels this year. One of one of which is the Witch King, uh, which is the one I have, and the other of which is System Collapse, which System is a new Collapse. murder belt yes. novel. For you know, just to just to sort of stop the wailing and gnashing of teeth at the thought there might be something other than a new murder bot novel this year. You get a murder bot novel and a brand new fantasy novel. And a brand new fantasy. And speaking of old reliable people, one of the books that a lot of us have been waiting for for years uh, is Connie Willis's Road to Roswell, which has been um, well. I mean, she's she wrote a nonfiction book about Roswell. She's written a lot of bits and pieces about her visits to Roswell. Uh, and it promises to be utterly hilarious and somewhat tragic at the same time. There's a kind of, uh, there's a kind of, as though H.L. Mencken were redoing Close Encounters of the Third Count, I suppose. <laughs> going to be very skeptical, very funny, and yet there's a sense of, uh, of, of tenderness about the people who believe these things. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to expect of it at all, except that uh, she's been talking about it for years. She's been writing around it for years. We know that it was turned in and we expect to see it. And I don't expect to be disappointed. Fair enough. I should clarify because I'm embarrassed that it slipped my mind as I was talking, but it's Undertow Publications who are going to publish Premi Mohammed and Toby Ogundaran's collections. And I think they're going to be essential. Um, somewhere along the line, uh, speaking about center of the genre, space opera, whatever else, mm -hmm. We're going to get a new Anne Leckie novel, the first one in a couple of years, I think, a book called Translation State. It looks really good. It looks to be in that same kind of uh, space as the Imperial Ranch universe without being an Imperial Ranch uh, novel. So I'm looking forward to that. What do you know about the – because I saw it on your list and I did not have it on mine. What do you know about the new Karen Lord book? 
the blue beautiful I know world. It's the big beautiful the big sorry the blue beautiful world is the name of the book. It's been on the cards for a couple couple of years, and it's finally I think coming out um, in the back half of the year. I don't have an actual publication I, in August apparently. I know it's space opera, uh, and I know it follows on from a first contact, and that's about all I know at the moment. Other than the fact that Karen from the very beginning has always been so a big mm-hmm. new space opera from Karen Lord. I'm absolutely down for that. Absolutely, you know. I mean, I feel like I've now locked in my entire reading year, Gary. There's enough on this list to, to, to fill most of the year, though there will still be surprises, I know. Well, I mean, there are things there, there are things I don't normally read. Uh, I, I've yeah. seen that there's a Tanana Reeve do novel, The Reformatory. There's mm-hmm. at least one new T. Kingfisher novel, maybe two, I don't know. Uh, and these are, again, they're out of my normal wheelhouse. I don't normally review these, but these are very effective. What I've read so far, very effective writers. And yep. I'm going to embarrass you by, since we're at the very end now, I don't get I'll a lot of more. original anthologies, but no, I mean, uh, the Book of Witches is coming out late in the it year. Uh, you and I have talked about it. I know there are some terrific stories in it. I know it's a big, generous book. Um, he's, he's going to go back and show me. Okay, those are, yeah. Those of you who have video on your radio can look at what I'm looking at right now. The Book of that's what what what, what is this? This is the Ark of the Book of Witches. Okay, he sh- I have to I have to describe this since we're not on television, sir. But the front of the Book of Witches has a wonderful cover. It says the Book of Witches. You turn the spine and covered by Alyssa Winans. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, and the the the, the spine it says something else good. on the spine, doesn't it, Gary? It does. Well, that's fine. Dragons, witches, they're all uh, all the same. But but no, based on the Book of Dragons and uh, based on someone in time, original anthologies, I don't know why yours are the ones I tend to see, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? No it's one knows. You, Nepotism you, isn't a thing. We're not, we're not technically related. We simply work on the same podcast together, and it's... Uh, and, and which stories you did an anthology of which stories some years ago anyway for for young adults uh, ten years ago ten, ten years, years ago. ago that long ago okay for under my hat uh, under, yeah so th- so there's never a sh- so th- these are R rated witch stories these are non Y A appropriate witch stories that's it it's pornography Gary that's okay, what Voyager do no it, it's a big diverse anthology of new new witch stories uh, mostly fantasy a little bit of science fiction. Uh, we held a open reading period as well for mm-hmm. BIPOC writers. So it's, it's, it's deliberately supposed to be quite, it's a very different book, completely different book from Under My Hat. But oh, I thanks. think there's a lot there, a lot there for people to like. I think it's really exciting. Melissa Winans is doing some great art for, for it. We had a long chat in Chicago. And this is one of two anthologies I have coming out this year. What's the other? I did a 12 Tomorrows volume for MIT last year, and I, yes. I'm fortunate enough to be able to do another one for this year called Communications Breakdown. So that's a science fiction anthology that's coming out mid-year. Excellent. Yeah. The, the other book I have, um, we both work for Locus, and we're bringing in different writers and whatever mm-hmm. else to try writing for us at different times. Right now, we uh, Wale Talabi has been yes. writing, doing some re- reviewing for us, which has been terrific. In August... Daw will publish uh, Wole's debut novel, Shigidi and the Brass Head of Abalafon. Abalafon. Mm-hmm. I've only seen the title right now. So I'm, I'd originally seen it as a Shigidi, I was like, and now I'm seeing the, the full title. I'm kind of, and it sounds fascinating. Um, 
disgruntled gods, revenge, heist, heist across two worlds, mm. going through London and Lagos and different places should be great. I mean, uh, while it was fascinating, I've enjoyed the short fiction that I've read and to have a debut no novel in the same year as some of the other work that we've been talking about is really exciting. I mean, in fact, I'm talking too quickly. Apologies, Evelyn. One <laughs> of the things that really ex is exciting is to see short fiction writers move into a novel writing career. You don't have to do it. It's not the only path, but it's always exciting to see. So I'm exciting to see someone like uh, like Wale making that that transition along with a few other writers this year. Uh, and I know there's longer work coming from some of the other people that we've talked about on the list as well. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I mean, I always admire writers who are comfortable writing short fiction. Um, I mean, oh. there, there, there's a, I, I was thinking one of the, one of my surprises um, last year was The Adventurous by Richard Butner, who is mo mostly known by other writers as the director of the Syracuse workshop. But again, uh, as I don't know whether Richard is working on a novel or not, uh, but there are lots of careers that, that work that way. Interestingly enough, moving from short, this is a separate podcast entirely, but we could start. It seems like moving from short stories to a novel may be easier for many writers than moving from novels to short stories. I was it's thinking true. specifically of, I've seen this in more than one introduction in the last couple of years, um, but in the um, collection of, um, of uh, N.K. Jemison's stories, How Long Till Black Future Month, she wrote an interesting mm -hmm. essay about how uh, she felt more comfortable in the novel and the novel seemed to give her room to move around and learning the discipline of short stories was, was a challenge in a way that I take I to be the reverse of the challenge that a short story writer faces in taking on the first novel. Who knows? I mean, I think one of the big conversations to have over the next couple of years, well, next year or so, will be if we can get our friend Kelly Link to come on about the adventure it's been for her to get to this debut novel. I mean, you know, Kelly has been a major talent and a huge voice in the field for years. Yes. Uh, and yet there's still that thing where it's like a debut novel, you know, like... She's a promising beginner, Gary. Well, there's, uh, I mean, Eileen Gunn has been working on a novel for years, which... I'm looking uh, forward to it. Yeah, and, and, and it looks terrific. Um, people keep asking Ted Chang if he's going to write a novel. He always has the same answer. If something I'm writing it turns out to be a novel, it's a novel. But he won't know until he's writing it, which strikes me as being uh, completely rational. I think what we're dealing with in all these... The three cases we mentioned, obviously Kelly Link and Eileen and Ted, seem to be supremely self-confident writers. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm. They will not write a novel unless they know it's the novel they want to write, which sounds naive, but I think that that's one of the reasons that it has been so long uh, to see the Kelly Link novel coming up. It could and be. Now, we've, we've got through our whole hour. We've recommended 30, 40 books. I think mm. it's fair to say that, do you have anything else on your list that you want to touch on? Uh, there's one thing I'm curious about because it's, and I never see middle grade books. Uh, P. Jelly Clark has a middle grade novel coming out in July called A Benny's Song. Um, should be fun. And it should be very interesting because, again, that's a writer who, on the basis of what I've read, uh, anything will be interesting. Normally, if I saw a title that was listed as a middle grade book, I might just glance over it and say, eh, Jelly Clark, it probably is worth checking out. Uh, I, don't I think that's probably so. Else. I don't know if I had. Did you have anything else on your list that we? No, no. I mean, basically, you know, that's a, about it. Mostly because I'm still building my list. Well, yeah, me too. You know, I mean, we're a week into January. 
I know we're going to see books we didn't expect to see, mm-hmm. and that's a gift uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I know there are going to be things that will be exciting. I, I don't expect this episode to be definitive for the year ahead. It's just a lot of things we're looking forward to. I know there's a new T. Kingfisher book coming out. That will be great. Um, just all kinds of things. Yume Kitasi has a new book coming out called The Deep Sky that I've heard great things about and has a fascinating cover coming out in in August, a science fiction thriller that uh, that looks good. So there's all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of having mercy on our, our listeners, no, we're not going to sit down and put together definitive story notes for the episode notes because we tend not to. I will add a link to the live list that I have of the ones that, are mostly on our list. I don't think there's too much that's not on it that yeah. can contain pre-order links and all those sort of, but we will be coming back to a lot of these as part of the conversation of the year ahead, I think. And we'll be talking to some of these authors in the year ahead. I certainly hope. And but, but we'll, for, be talking to, we'll be talking to authors that we don't know now who they are or what they're doing, but at some point they will become new friends um, of the podcast. Friends of the podcast. That's so. If there are any friends. I just think if we were Tom Cruise, we could send them a cake. No, that's not going to Did you know he sends everyone a cake? I don't. I don't care if he sends it. I don't want a cake from Tom Cruise. They're supposed to be great. I'm sure it's. It, is it a fruit cake? Just a coconut cake. He sends them for Christmas to everybody he's ever worked with. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Is there a point? Is there a point to this? Yeah, it was just a meaningless segue. I was. I was bemused by the fact, and also well, the fact that apparently he's never tried it. So I mean, that's kind of interesting. No, I. I, I it, it, it would look like bribes. I mean, you know, now you've given somebody a horrible idea that the way to get a Hugo Award is to send cakes to all the members of the World Science Fiction. Which Let's might just stop and realize that that's true. That would work. It probably would, actually. <laughs> which, this is a footnote to the whole thing. Uh, I was been, I've been watching uh, comments on, on, on Twitter and Discord and Facebook and other places that people are not hearing any information about Hugo nomination no. from, from Chengdu. Yeah, I, we we should probably avoid the topic of Chengdu too much. I'm I'm concerned about what's happening in terms of the convention running and everything. Yeah, but I guess we'll wait and see. We've both said we don't plan to attend anyway. No, we're not going. We're to both attend, going to go to World Fantasy this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wish the convention well. But yeah, I mean they are certainly well behind the normal schedule for a Worldcon in terms of progress reports, which have not appeared. In terms of uh, Hugo voting, I did see uh, something attributed to, I guess, Ben Yellow saying they do expect to meet the Hugo deadlines. They, you know, in terms of setting things up and getting them going. I, however, I think there's also a complication because you have to be a paid member to vote, but they have no mechanism for you to pay just yet. So, oh, well, that's awkward. Who knows? Well, we we'll, shall see. But we wish them luck nonetheless. Nonetheless. So, and that's us. We will, so we'll be talking to guests. We have. We have an elaborately planned out schedule for 2023 Coot Street Podcast. We know exactly what we'll be doing every week from now until December. And, um, and Look, let's, let's leave it at this. We got you 26 episodes or so last year. Well, really 50. And we'll get you 26 or so episodes this year. And other than that, who knows? Who knows? Until we get to those episodes, this has been the Coot Street Podcast. Yep, yep, I think it has been. <laughs>